we call that a, cler- pretty- a clerical error. I think that's the yeah, fancy term yeah. for it. Yeah, it's, it's a fancy term, and I like it. <laughs> and then I found out some other things about, like, some people I work with, and, or, or yeah, and it was awesome. Uh, I, I can't go into detail because that would be that, wrong. That sounds like that'd be out. It, personal uh, info on people. Oh, it's great. That it's great. We don't know about. I don't anyway. want to say anymore. Yeah, you don't. I mean, no, it's not anything dirty. Oh, it's oh, it's oh. like a word. It's somebody that doesn't do their job normally oh. uh, did their did their job because somebody kind of like gave crap to the person and it's like it made them step up. Nice. It was pretty awesome. Someone got a kick um, in the pants. Somebody got a kick. Well, kick in the balls <laughs> is more like it. And that's how we like to start off Cinema Discovery Project. We like to start off with a nice, <laughs> rousing, uh, motivational kick in the balls, or yeah. or kicking in a very sensitive area of one's body to get them ready for what's about to come. And what is about to? C- You're about to get a kick in the balls in this episode. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> this is Nicholas Cage, <laughs> uh, and this is the Cinema Discovery Project. Actually, this is Stephen Billings. How's everybody doing tonight? You hear me out there. I, I'm listening for an answer. I'm not hearing anything. But there is somebody else here with me, and it's Andrew Cabral. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Stephen. I'm doing as good as one can be, given recent uh, news in the world of, of cinema, for cinephiles, for just film fans in general. Um, I guess we could dive right into this, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll, we'll we'll knock this out at the beginning because I don't want to I don't want to end we, on a We don't want to dwell on it, but this is kind of an addendum to our uh, one of our early episodes where we talked about how we consume movies. You know, whether it be digitally via streaming or physical via DVD, Blu-ray, whatever other format people are still holding on to. But the great probably the best streaming service for hardcore cinephiles for hardcore film fans for film lovers all around filmstruck is closing up shop i believe on november 29th of this year so it is about one month away and this was shocking news to come this friday for me steven was the first one to tell me and i didn't believe it i thought it was a hoax and then i went on to their twitter i went on to their facebook and no it's it's official it's yeah, it's closing shop after being up for about two years, and and me being the naive one, I uh, thought it would be around forever, just because you know you just want to hold on to all that all that good movie stuff for your your entire life. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember you know I was pretty much right on top of it when it came out. Like I I got it pretty quickly, and um, it took a while, I know it took a while for you to finally, it wasn't that you didn't want it, but you like kind of never, you didn't get around to it really quickly, and then you, and then when you finally got it, you were like, dude, I've never seen, you, you used the shit out of that thing. Oh yeah, I was on it, <laughs> I was on it last night, I was on it, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was on it last night, I've, I've been on it very, very frequently since I've gotten the service. I pr- I'm guessing when I got the service, it wasn't right at the launch. I want to say it was maybe January of 2017, you know, right after that Christmas uh, window there where I decided to give myself a late Christmas gift and get Filmstruck. Yeah. And yeah, it was it just, it, it has been such a gift to all of us and to everyone who's been able to use it. I know it hasn't been available uh, for everyone throughout the world, it's only been kind of primarily here in the United States, and they just uh, launched a few months ago in, I believe, uh, Great Britain or England, 
And I thought they were going to be expanding farther out, maybe to Canada and other places around the world, Australia. You know, there there are film fans all around the world who just love old classic movies. And this service would have definitely benefited them. But alas, they won't be able to get get to kind of, you know, get the same experience we got. And it's it, it all comes down to a lot of just corporate nonsense and corporate greed and corporate you know paperwork and nonsense basically well yeah i mean they they, they dwindled us down to being a niche audience yeah, so we're not worthy they, of, of of any kind of service at all because we're niche yeah you know you know these big corporations time warner at&t who just i believe merged uh, a little while ago and they said that this was you know in the works before the merger went through and all this nonsense but i call bs on that because i just think that you know, they're they're big corporations. They're in to make money any way they can. And anything they seem to be expendable or not super profitable or really not profitable at all, they'll just get rid of it to, you know, you know, boost whatever other profits they can. And unfortunately, like they said, it is a very niche audience. There's, it, it, you know, it was a combination of people who loved uh, Criterion Collection and people who love Turner Classic Movies and just, you know, old film lovers in general came together to really support and create this this streaming service. And everybody who's worked on it, everybody who's done anything for it, whether it be interviews or curating the collections they have on it or the movies or anything like that, they all did it for the love of movies. They didn't do it for to make money. This was a very grassroots type thing. And it's really disheartening that something like this could happen um, because it just goes to show that streaming or the digital world of movies isn't a permanent thing. And we talked about that a little bit in our yeah. in our episode from earlier on, but it really kind of puts an exclam- exclamation point on that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, for, for me, it's a couple things. It's like what you just said there. I mean, it, it, it really shows you how you know why it kind of it kind of almost in a way proves our point of why physical media is is kind of an important thing you know it it gives us a, a physical record of of these classic films and these foreign films and and they can always be ours they can't be taken away from us you know of course they can be damaged physically and we'd have to replace them but hopefully there'll always be a replacement but the, the other thing is is it kind of shows you what's important to these people that own these films and that they don't feel like it's they don't respect it enough to to provide it to the audience like they they want to hold on to it and unless it makes them money they don't feel they need to share it with anybody and that's that's sad because there's a lot of great cinema out there that's been around forever that needs to be shown and unless it is profitable they don't feel they need to do anything with it and that's it, That's, and yeah. within the saddest part is that a lot of these movies that were on Filmstruck cannot really be found anyplace else, or at least found in any place else that was as accessible as a streaming service like this. It's one of the. It was one of the best formatted streaming service. It was very easy to use, and like and you, like you said, they they came up with a lot of their own content to help supplement what we were watching, and and that's just that's you couldn't find that anywhere, man. I mean, it really. You know, like you said, it, it not only did it help you know help you get a chance to look at some Criterion films, maybe that you you were thinking about buying. You know that you know from the you know or or possible upcoming releases. You know if there was something that was good, we knew was coming out, I was like, oh man, I can go watch that movie. I can go watch Andre Ruplov and decide whether I really like that movie before I buy it. 
um, you know, stuff like that. And then there, like you said, there's all these movies that were not only from from Warner, you know, that were from their their catalog that they were throwing on there. When they just recently kind of combined Turner Classic Movies with the with the site, which is which is what's interesting too, because you know they just did that recently. That was within the year, right? Yeah, I think they just that did they... that earlier this year. It took them about a year or so to do that. I remember listening to. Uh, the the Filmstruck podcast, which is also unfortunately going to go away as well. That that podcast had wonderful interviews and insights into a lot of modern filmmakers, but into also uh, writers and just all kind of people with through the through uh, you know the movie community. And I remember one interview that was done with Ben Mankiewicz, uh, who is a host at TCM. And this was done after, you know, they decided to incorporate TCM, where initially they kept Filmstruck and TCM separate to the point where, like, you couldn't even mention Filmstruck on TCM or vice versa. And I always thought, like, why not combine them from the beginning? Maybe it was like a whole legal thing, probably was. And you just don't you don't realize, you know, the corporate aspect of it all until uh, until a moments like this where they decide to get rid of it it really shows like Stephen was saying that it's more of an economic commodity than it is uh an art form or at least we treat it as an art yeah. form i mean yeah all art. i mean all art should be able to be available to people and, and and there's no really excuse today there's no excuse to to hold it back from people i'm not saying that it doesn't cost money to do this because it's very easy for us to sit back and complain about something that we don't have to really pay for in full you know we obviously we pay our, our subscriptions but that doesn't account for of course how much it costs to to not only store these things but like pay the people you know that continue to you know make the new content and and to curate the the you know the films that go on the, the, the thing and it, you know so it costs money to do these things no doubt about it but i don't know that it it can't cost as much as some of the other things that they decide to invest their money into especially it. with this these are like gigantic it's time warner it's time warner it's they had warner one of the, brothers the, i mean like <laughs> it's at&t they, they're one of the most profitable corporations but they, 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 they just combined the yeah they just combined themselves together this is you know they, well, the thing is too is we got to now we don't know what the possibilities of certain things like we know they wanted their catalog back so that when they do their new streaming service that comes out at the end of next year, that they're probably going to bring out a lot of their, yeah. their own classic films. But that 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 will negate the criteria. Yeah, another though, another there know. are there are other facets to this that I think people may not be aware of. Uh, one is that I did hear through the grapevine that Warner Brothers wants to start their own streaming service because that is what everyone is literally doing. Uh, Disney's doing yeah. it. Um, all the major like television networks are kind of doing it now. Uh, uh, Warner Brothers. Oh, cable's gonna cable's gonna go away eventually. Yeah. What is interesting is that the cable, uh, the the cheaper alternative to cable was these subscription services. You know, whether it be HBO or whether it be like something like a YouTube TV or Hulu TV or Sling TV or whatever. Um, in the long run, it's probably gonna end up costing the exact amount of money to get but exactly I was gonna what say, you yeah, already I mean, have. It's just gonna make its way right back around to being the same price as cable. You're just now ha having to subscribe to multiple streaming services to keep up with all the things that you love. Right, and and, um, and, and that's it's, and it's just it's. It's, it's crazy, and, and Warner Brothers just launched uh, their DC Universe, DC streaming service, which they're doing original programming on, but they're putting all of their, but they've also put all of their old uh, superhero movies on there, like all the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, all the Batman movies, all, uh, you know, the Wonder Woman TV series from the 70s, 
all that kind of stuff. Um, so they're kind of slowly making their way into it. I don't know if they're going to incorporate that in their Warner Brothers streaming service. I'm not sure. But another thing I wanted to bring up is that um, is that while Filmstruck has gone away, there are other services out there that have streaming um, that, that that stream older movies. They just don't have as big a catalog as Filmstruck yeah. had or had the ba- the corporate backing of Time Warner that Filmstruck had. You know what I mean? That's the kind of the big thing that really legitima- legitimizes it, something like this and makes it uh, more grand and, and having a much larger cata- uh, catalog for people to go into. Um, and so all the the movies aren't lost. They're still going to be around. They're not but lost, but... It's just going to be it's, more, it, it, diffi- more difficult to find them than they were with Filmstruck. You know what I mean? Uh, Filmstruck was really the first yeah. foray into combining mainstream backing with the Criterion Collection, which has been more niche and more underground type stuff. And it's really unfortunate that, that it wasn't able to work. But Criterion said that they're probably not going to stop trying to make make it uh, a thing. No, they they know how how important it is to getting to the streaming game, and I think that they're 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 going to start looking into other avenues to to be able to find the right the right. Uh, um, teaming to, to, to make it more sustainable. That's the thing is just maybe trying to make sure that they find a sustainable partner and bringing back, you know, bringing back these movies to another streaming service. And what service. is crazy is that like it wasn't, they say the word niche, come back to the word niche, but there were some big people who, well-known people who were big fans of this. I mean, when when the news broke on this past Friday, there was a lot of reaction on the internet. I know, Stephen, you're not on Twitter, yeah. so you don't know the Twitter, uh, not backlash, but the Twitter response to it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, tweeted out something. Barry Jenkins tweeted out something. Edgar Wright tweeted out something. I think he also posted on Instagram. Uh, Xavier Dolan, who's kind of more indie inter- underground director, uh, tweeted, uh, posted something on Instagram about it. They've had some big people be involved with Filmstruck, like big name people. This wasn't like a niche, niche thing. No, this you was, know what I mean? This was a very well loved by not only fans but other people within the business. You know, people that really do appreciate that that part of cinema. Uh, you know, were really, really, I think, really enjoyed this service, and and I think a good way to transition from from this sad news into our actually our main topic for this episode is that a lot of these movies we're going to talk about on this episode you might be able to find on Filmstruck while you still have it um you know this you know we'll, we'll, we'll we and, and getting into the topic today we're going to talk about you know you know it's not easy for everybody to get into foreign cinema and you know sometimes people that are interested don't know where to start and so me and Andrew have, have discussed and, and kind of compiled a, a, a grouping of, of films, roughly, you know, about seven, seven films each from each of us. We, he, I think Andrew's got a few more than me, but we wanted to pick some very kind of accessible foreign films to start out with. And a lot of these you can easily find. And some of these you can, like I said, you can still find as Filmstruck is still around till the end of November jump on there if you have it and and try to find these movies i know a, a lot of them are on there but a lot of them are on other streaming services whether it's amazon or whatever and yeah so today we're going to talk about uh you know kind of films that as you're new getting into foreign if you want to get into foreign films these are some films that are very easy to watch or not are easier to watch than some and um you know 
we'll probably get in a little bit to some of the filmmakers' backgrounds too, the people that made these movies and and maybe some of the other movies that they did. But um, I don't know. Do do you want to start off, Andrew? Yeah, with, uh, yeah. Before I start off doing uh, my list, if you will, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of the filmmakers we're going to be discussing today, I think, are going to be more broad spectrum, at least from my uh, perspective, where I just want to yeah. give people a, a a more general, wide-ranging list of movies and not be so specific as to certain older films that that are probably screened in every film school in the world. You know what I mean? Like these these lists, these lists that we compiled are not going to have very in, are not going to have very intense like art house films. You know what I mean? These are going to be yeah. more general, more mainstream type things. Um, you won't see people like uh, you know. Uh, Ingmar Bergman or Francois Truffaut or uh or um Godard or people like that. You know what I mean? No, no not that they don't they don't have uh, no Tarkovsky. Not that they don't have some more accessible films, but you know we feel that. I mean, and, and, and I and I think we might have a couple like more yeah, higher up names, but but for the most part, we're sticking to to more. I would I don't know that I'd say mainstream. I mean, some of them are kind of mainstream. They've become more popular over the years, but like. Yeah, they're they're more like I said accessible. They're yes. more they 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 fall in line more with more people's eyes they than, do. than some of these they other do. ones. They do. And trust me, the the names I mentioned are are heralded names. I think are, you know, are yeah. essential viewing Keslowski and all and all these guys. And we also uh want to stress that these are all going to be non-English language films. You know what I mean? Technically, yeah. uh, there are if a film is from Great Britain, it's a foreign film. A film is from Australia, it's a foreign film. New Zealand, it's a foreign film. Stuff like that. But we want to go with, you know, you know, uh, films that have subtitles because they're not in English movies. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, because because we, you know, a lot. That, that's the thing is is people. There's a stigma against, you know, w- whether it's a black and white film or you know foreign films like and. We know that people, some people don't like to, to read subtitles, but I'm telling you, man, you're missing out on a lot of good stuff. And and I and I was one of them. There was a time where I just, I, I, and it wasn't that I had a stigma against, you know, re, it, it's just the fact of reading. Like I did not like reading movies. I liked to be able to watch the movies because that's that's what you do when you, you watch. I don't, but you get the thing is you get used to it. You get used to reading and watching the movie at the same time. And I think that if you can get past that, or you know. Then you're gonna you're gonna find some fantastic cinema out there, and I and I, yeah. So let's let's jump into it. Yeah, man. let's uh, let's we're gonna we're kind of kind of kind of go back and forth. Um, Andrew's gonna throw one out at us, and and we'll go back and forth between kind of five each, and then at the end we're gonna throw out some other honorable kind of mentions right. that you could go and search out. So yeah, so the first one here I have is a film uh, that's called The Killer, directed by John Woo. And the reason why I chose The Killer is because it's a uh, very influential film. It is an action film, and it really influenced a lot of the action films of the 90s, a lot of the action films now. If you watch something like John Wick or John Wick or John Wick Chapter 2, very uh, similar to stuff from The Killer. If you watch the Matrix movies, all that that gun-fu type stuff, all the, the gunplay that was in a lot of uh 90s american movies a lot of it comes from the killer and the follow-up film hard-boiled but i wanted to go with the killer first because i feel like if people watch the killer uh and they want more of what the killer has to offer they can then watch hard-boiled but the killer yeah the killer is a bit of an older movie i guess if you want to say older uh, yeah uh, i mean it's it's 
it, 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 the thing is, is John Woo is kind of one of them filmmakers that like you either really like his style or you find right. it to be very hokey and campy. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I got the, I got something to say about that, I guess. But this film, yeah, this film <laughs> came out in 1989, so it's a bit of an older movie for many people. But it, the action is amazing. There's so many yeah. bullets and blood and all kind of awesome stuff that happens at, at the end of this movie i'm uh, pretty sure many people may have seen this homage in other movies i'm pretty sure they did it in 21 jump street the movie uh that with um jonah hill and channing tatum where they wear these white suits at the end of this movie when they go into the shootout um in the in in the killer i believe it's at a church uh but in of course in 21 jump street it's at a it's at the prom <laughs> of all places but load, they just load themselves up with guns but but the killer is very it's very much an homage to the to the killer and even in that movie uh they release the doves when they get out of the limo uh and it's like that's such an homage to john woo john woo had this thing with slow motion and with doves and he loved to do that in his movies and his hong kong action movies are awesome you know, not only The Killer, but like I mentioned, Hard Boiled, but, you know, A Better Tomorrow is another one. Um, these movies are just fantastic. If you're not familiar with the plot of this movie, uh, basically, um, uh, you know, a I'm just going to read the, the plot here from IMDb. A disillusioned assassin accepts one last hit in hopes of using his earnings to restore vision to a singer he accidentally blinded, only to be double-crossed by his boss. So right there, you got a film filled with you know, double crossness and intrigue and stakes and things like that. Um, I really love this movie. It is available on DVD as well as Blu-ray. Um, so check it out any way you can. Yeah, it's it's I own it too. Um, that and Hard World, and they're both really fun. They're very fun action movies, very accessible, very you know. And, and like we said, you know, John Woo did come over to America. He he made some films. You know, to me, the the one that stands out the most is Face Off. I think Face Off kind of kind of compares in, in into his foreign films a lot yeah, it, more than it's you know. weird because um i'm not pretty sure i'm not the first one to say this i i want to say kevin smith the director said this but basically i'm paraphrasing here is like what he did in hong kong people love but when he translated it to uh american movies you know people didn't like it as much you know what i mean the slow motion and the doves yeah. and things like that and like steven said face off is really as close to his, you know, Hong Kong action movies that he got to make in mainstream cinema. Um, but when he made his, his trip over here, the first movie I think he made was Hard Target, and then he did Broken Arrow. Yeah, and, he punches a snake. <laughs> yeah, that movie is not, not the best. Uh, but, I mean, people really love it because, you know, it's, it's an early movie. Oh, it's, 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 like it's hilariously fun yeah, he, movie. It's a fun he movie. Came, yeah, they did Broken Arrow and then Face Off. And then, of course, uh, Mission Impossible 2, which people aren't uh, in, uh, fans of. It's not my favorite. It's not everyone's favorite. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I rewatched it recently, and it's not as bad as many say. If you can f make yourself comfortable with the John Woo style, that's the thing. His style is so distinct and so... Uh, you know, specific to him that it doesn't really fit in every single way. You know what I mean? It doesn't really no, fit with no. that Mission Impossible, you know, adrenaline-fueled action. It's much slower action and, and more stylized action than you're probably used to seeing in a mainstream franchise movie, like a Mission Impossible movie, you know what I mean? But he has since gone yeah, back yeah. to uh, make several films back in China, I believe, so he's still making movies today. Yeah, yeah. 
a lot of his style ended up getting stolen from other oh, filmmakers, and so it, so so it's it's it, then then it becomes it falls back on him. He's you know people get sick of what he does, but it's like not his fault that he was influential to others, and you know it, it's you know it's one it's happens to a lot of filmmakers. But um, going into one of my my first ones here, um, kind of starting with the most accessible uh, for me, and I think that's kind of what Andrew's doing too. Um, this is a very popular one. This is one that people, I think, still kind of talk about today a lot, and that's Pan's Labyrinth um, from Guillermo del Toro, um, Spanish filmmaker. But he's, of course, also came in, like John Woo, come in and done a lot of uh, American films. You know, just recently won Best Picture and Best Director for uh, Shape of Water. And um, so this film is kind of, it, it, I mean, it's a fairy tale. It's, it's you know, if you know del Toro's kind of aesthetic he has he likes to do a lot of uh, you know practical monster effects and and he he's got a very distinct dark style to his movies and in this movie it's set in um, you know 1944 um, in Spain and you have this girl who uh, goes to live with her stepfather and while there she gets visited by a fairy who takes her to this this fawn out in the woods and basically tells her she's a princess and that. She has to pass these tests to 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 see her father, who is the king, um, and so it's this dark fairy tale about her kind of trials to 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 get to her her father, real father, um, and and so and there's different interpretations of of that of the themes and stuff of the movie and what actually is happen, what's actually real and what is not real, but it is a if you know del toro style and you love del toro style this is to me still maybe his best movie um and a lot of people i think feel that way um because and and, and you know it, it might sound maybe pretentious to say this but a lot of these filmmakers that go from foreign cinema go to america make movies a lot of times i think a lot of their foreign films are still their best movies you know whether it's um you know alfonso coran is another spanish filmmaker who did uh uh, e two Mamba Tembien, I still th- I think maybe is still maybe his one of his best movies. Oh, I I um, think you're forgetting uh one of your a favorite movies from him. Well, of course, Children of Men is probably my favorite. <laughs> Children of Men is probably my favorite. I can't lie, but E two Mamba Tembien is is it's. I mean, I saw that for the first time over the, like maybe like four or five months ago. That movie blew me away. I thought it was one of the the best the steamiest movies I've ever seen. It's it's a fantastic movie. It's, it, it's I like steamy movies. Don't judge me, Andrew. It's very okay? oh yeah, it's very sexual. It's a very yeah, sexy yeah. movie in in just the the sexual uh themes that are throughout that movie. It's a it's kind of But it's, it's respectful. A, yeah, it's respectful. It's a coming of it's, it's not, also like a coming yeah. of age movie. It's not yeah, it's not a silly yeah. movie here. It's isn't you know Which is another good <laughs> suggestion by the way, but but back to Del Toro. Um yeah, what do you think? Are you a fan of this? Oh this yeah, film? yeah. Pan's Labyrinth is is like Steven said, probably his best. I mean, in my in my opinion, he's I mean, he's a man who talk about somebody who's passionate about movies. This guy yeah. loves loves movies. He has such a he's, passion. He's, he's, for he's the it. Spanish version of Kevin Smith almost. <laughs> like it's like, you know, like uh, I, yeah, a- he loves movies. You know, he's and he loves. But the thing is, he loves like um. Like old horror movies and gothic horror and and stuff like that. Like his like one of his favorite movies is is like uh, Beauty and the Beast from Jean Cocteau from the forties. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and he's always trying to make uh, horror movies that are very much homages or throwbacks to 
older films. And this film is does have horror elements in it, Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, those creature designs are incredible. And there's something so mythic about them and just so real world about them that, you know, are really frightening. You know, there's one there, you know, the one I always remember is the one that has the, the eyeballs in his hands. You know, he's he's yeah. the one that's sitting at the table with all this food. Yeah, but if that, you touch that, the, scene, that scene will stick with touch, you, man. Yeah, oh. Basically, like, if you touch the food, the guy's going to eat you. And like, there's like piles yeah, she's, of bones. It's, it's there one around. of her first. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't want to yeah, give. Well, I don't want to give away the situation. Like, there's imagery in yeah. that movie that's rather frightening. For it's very much a Grimm's fairy tale type movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. In 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 its dark way. And this movie was critically loved. It won three Oscars. It won um, best cinematography. It won best art direction and best makeup, uh, which is really. The hallmark of most of Del Toro's movies are are those three categories. Um, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that he. I think that I think you know, like if you could compare him to another maybe recent filmmaker where they kind of almost in the same level in the sense of their aesthetic, you could kind of say him and Tim Burton kind of follow in that same vein somewhat. But I think I think Del Toro does it better because he uses a lot of practical effects. And I think he's maybe a better storyteller too. Yeah, I, and, and he and he and he makes and he uses his influences, but he doesn't just go and make remakes, which is what Tim Burton apparently is all about right well, not now. Not only that, but I think um, he, one his filmography is much more wide ranging, uh, especially yeah. the back end. The back, you could say back end now, but he's still working. You know what I mean? Like his. His first American movie was Mimic, which I think he's kind of disassociated with. Then he went back and did a Spanish uh, horror film, or kind of more more creepy horror, The Devil's Backbone. Then he went to me. Then he went to more uh, mainstream American cinema with Blade Two, and then Hellboy, yeah. and then Hellboy Two, and Pacific Rim, and and Crimson Peak. Yeah, Cro- you got the Chronos. Okay, Chronos was is, his is early it? his earliest film, um, but then you got something like Crimson Peak, which is you know, a gothic romance and that they tried to sell yeah. as a horror movie and it's not a horror movie. It's a gothic well, he, romance. The thing is, is the studio tried to yeah. sell it as that, but, but he, watch, if you, if you, if you remember back in the yeah. time that that moves, he was like advertising that movie. He was going around talking about the movie. He'd say it all the time. Gothic romance, yeah. gothic Every romance. Every single interview <laughs> he ever did, he said gothic romance, but then you watch the, yeah, tra- it was almost, and, a, it was almost a joke. And then you watch yeah. the trailers. If you go back and watch the trailers, it's like, they're trying to sell this as a horror movie and it's not. Yeah, like it's some some possession demon movie, well, like, like, like a, a haunted house yeah, movie, like a haunted house. which it is a haunted house movie. But it's also like you like you said, it's got a romantic element to it, so you can't, you know. But like I said, I, I think him and Tim Burton have very similar like kind of like attributes to their films. But Tim Burton is so caught up in the style, like, and not enough about the substance of the characters and the and the and the and the story. Like it's like well, a lot of people have criticized Del Toro for that. But I, 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 ah, I, man, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't quite meet them. All there's the so way much with more that. heart in his movie. His movies have so a soul. Like I, I yeah, like I, if you watch, I don't. You don't get lost in the in the in the style. You it's, watch, it's, you, there's still something there. Yeah, if you watch The Shape of Water, there's a heart. There's a meaning. There's a a soul in that movie that's within the Sally Hawkins character. But I don't want to go down that. You know, I don't want to talk about that movie because I just want to, you know, keep it keep it together here yeah, on yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. Um. So, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic. It's a very. I think it's it's and it's you know it's about a two hour watch. It's not that long, yeah. and it's it, but it the, the, it's such an interesting watch. Just looking at the yeah, visuals and, and, alone. And the whole movie is very metaphorical. It's set in the backdrop, yeah. I believe, of the Spanish Civil War that was going on at the time, and it's all about it's all about this girl dealing with 
all the tri uh, trials in her life through through her own imagination. It's really a wonderful story. Definitely, definitely. All right, man. What's your what's your next uh, one? Let me look at my next. My next one is Amelie. Amelie, which is directed yes, that's, by that's that's a classic right there. Was yeah. directed by Jean Pierre Junet, uh, who is a director that uh, directed the film Delicatessen, which came out earlier that uh, in the nineties, which is uh, a pretty great and grim film, um, which with but very unique. His films are very um, quirky and they're very interesting. They're kind of self-contained in their own world for the most part. He also did do Alien Resurrection, and the less said about that movie, the ah, better. Yes, <laughs> I think I think the classic I, Alien Resurrection. I, I think he hasn't had a very um, illustrious career or very you know a long career in any way. But Amelie, I think, is his best movie. And Amelie is a wonderful film that stars uh, Audrey Tato or Audrey Toto. I don't know how to say that. My French is a little off. Um, and basically, Amelie, she's this innocent, naive girl who lives in Paris. And she kind of has her own quirks and her own sensibilities. And she tries to kind of uh, help the people around her without them knowing about it. And she decides to, you know, and, and along the way, she also discovers like 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 having a, uh, a crush on one of the people that she's helping. She finds love. And it's a very... Uh, you know, wonderfully nice light movie from that perspective. It's very unique, very unique when it comes to its color perspective and things like that. A lot of uh, you know, a lot of nice reds and greens and you know, yellows, things like that. Very, it's very Technicolor-ish. You know what I mean? Um, and it's a really wonderful movie. I haven't seen it in quite a few years. That I need to give it a rewatch. Um, I'm really surprised Audrey Tattoo hasn't become a bigger star. You know what I mean? She has been in movies. Um, uh, here in the she she was in the Da Vinci Code that was directed by Ron Howard. But that came out like <laughs> two thousand and six. Talk about dating yeah, myself. Yeah, that 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 came. You know what the, I mean? That that and the thing is, is the other two movies. I don't think anybody really yeah. cared about. But um, yeah, I, I I saw this back when I I took my year of film uh, studies. You know, and and this was in the in the kind of you know required viewing and uh yeah it's a delightful movie it's one of them it's the, that's the word i'd use it's delightful it's it's like you said very colorful very kind of optimistic um very french <laughs> um <laughs> you know it's it you know it's it's it is it's a very fun movie and in like the word i'm going to keep using accessible it's very a very light watch yeah. yeah this film is not you know you know soul gripping it's not dark it's not melodramatic it's a nice fun watch but it is unique in its in its approach to its storytelling and stuff like that it, and this girl does uh, this woman of Amelie she doesn't uh, you know really talk a lot she's very um introspective she has a lot of narration within her own mind she's kind of like talking to herself and stuff like that but but I really love this movie I would definitely uh, seek it out if you can. It's very easy to find. I mean, I've seen this thing floating around on DVD and Blu-ray for years now, so you can definitely find it. it. It was streaming on Netflix for a while. I don't think it still is because when it comes to Netflix, like they lose stuff every month, so I can't keep up with that stuff anymore. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, but Stephen, uh, what is your next movie on your list? Well, the next one, uh, I find this one, you know, and some some of the kind of things that could help people get into some of these movies is the fact that a lot of these movies get remade. 
Um, and this one I think is a good one that I think is a good connective one that maybe people kind of overlook. Um, and that's let the right one in. Um, uh, it's a great horror film. Uh, that's a Swedish film, right? Right. Yeah. Swedish. And, um, yeah, that, you know, it's, if you don't know, you know, that it was remade into a movie, um, called let, let me in, uh, which is let the right one. It's about this kind of kid, this kind of, uh, awkward kid who, you know, doesn't have a lot of friends. He's kind of has issues at home and, um, kind of befriends this, this girl, this new neighbor, who is a vampire, and uh, <laughs> she has her, uh, you know, being a vampire in this world, you know, it's got its complications, and, you know, can't really interact with people too much, because you might eat them, <laughs> but for some reason, she <laughs> she she uh, she befriends this kid, This she sees something in this kid, you know, and they become friends, and, and it's, it's a very interesting, you know, it sounds kind of sweet, and it kind of can be at times, but it's also very horrific, a lot of, um, you know, very bloody imagery. It's very gory. Um, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's it's right up. I think it could be right up your alley. And I think the difference between that and the remake is the gore, like in in the in the way the atmosphere of uh, how some of the violence is. Um, you know, this movie is it was directed by Thomas Alferson, um, who went on to do uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, he also just did the snowman, which apparently was not that Do good. Do not, I um, wouldn't, I, I wasn't even going to mention that movie just because. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I don't let them get off on something bad that they've made, I, which apparently it wasn't his yeah. fault. Apparently a lot of studio meddling. Oh uh, yeah. When the, um, when the director comes out and says, yeah, we didn't have enough time to actually finish making this movie. And then they released it. I'm like, yeah. that doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> mm. But yeah, he, you know, Tinker Taylor. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Tinker Taylor. I need to give it a rewatch. But um, he, he is, he's definitely a, a, um, a very smart filmmaker. I think he's got a lot of good films ahead of him. But uh, hopefully, not another Snowman. Apparently, but um, yeah, this movie lit the right one in. I think is very, uh, a very. It's maybe my favorite, one of my favorite vampire films. Um, what do you think of this? one? Yeah, I really love this film a lot. I watched it for the first time. A few years ago, coincidentally, while I was taking a film class called like, like uh, Great Monsters in Film and Literature or something like that, like I watched it uh, before before I went to one of those classes, um, and then I told the professor, "Yeah, I watched this movie. It's pretty pretty amazing. Let me let the right one in." And what I really love about this movie is that it it, it takes it, it feels like a really cold movie in all of its aspects. You know what I mean? Like it, oh, yeah. it there's it's <laughs> snow, it's cold, it's always really at night because you know vampires can't come out during the day. Yeah, and and it's a very small story between a friendship of, you know, this this lonely human boy and this lonely vampire girl. And it's and at the core of this movie is really their relationship and their back and forth. And it's it's a slow-moving film. But I think it's really, really good. I would definitely recommend it for horror movie fans because I think it is, you know, one of the best when it comes to just, you know, when it comes to the quality of what a horror movies can give you. Not all horror movies are just, you know, fun, cheap thrills that are, you know, silly with bad dialogue and and, you, and jump scares yeah. and all this usual stuff. Some of them can be very high art, you know what I mean, and be ver and have great acting and great themes and great stories and i think let the right one in is definitely one of those yeah it's it's sometimes it's good to to 
to take don't to, to take a situation or take characters that are usually in a more uh, eventful type of movie and, and shrink it down to a more personal story. And I think that this movie kind of does that really well. Um, and the other relationship in the movie I really love is well, not love, but it's very interesting. Is the relationship between the vampire and her? Is it her father or is it her like some her somebody that's taking yeah. care of her? At Caretaker, least. I yeah. guess. Her caretaker of sorts. I think they do that differently in the remake. I think it isn't it actually her father in the remake. I think I've I've actually um, never seen the remakes. I couldn't oh, tell you. Oh, you've not seen the remake? Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. But I think that the right one is a lot. It's a, it, it's pulled off a lot better. And um, both actors. I, I think even I think both performances from both actresses in this case, if I can pronounce her name. Carrie Hedebrandt um, was very, or that's the kid, and Lin, uh, Lena uh, Linderson is the girl, the vampire, and, and let the right one in. She's she's very good, very frightening. Um, when you see kids in movies, horror movies, they're always usually frightening. But when then you add the element of her being a vampire and jumping on you and eating you, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think this is is a, is a as one that I think might even be more accessible than Pan's Labyrinth. It's 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 another kind of under two hours um, horror movie. And in, in, you know, as you we've seen recently, horror movies are. People love horror movies. People going to the going to the movies to see these. Spend a lot, you know. It's making hundreds of millions of dollars to see these ten million dollar movies. So, um, yeah, this is another good one for me. I think, uh, and you should watch it right now. That's a take from Stephen Billings. <laughs> um, <laughs> Andrew, what's your next one? Uh, my next one is a film. Maybe many people have heard of. Maybe not. It came out in nineteen ninety eight. It's called Run Lola Run, directed by. Yeah, see, I, I haven't seen this. Yeah, movie. directed by Tom Tykwer. Um, this was a film I bought on Blu-ray a few years ago just because I I kept hearing about it and I kept seeing it every time I went to the store. So I'm like, hey, I might as well I might as well buy it and see in what it's about. And it uh, stars Franca Potente. And Franca Potente may be familiar to some people because she was in both The Born Identity and The Born Supremacy. She plays kind of the uh, love interest for the Matt Damon character of Jason Bourne in those movies. Um, and that's the first time I ever saw her. But she has does a lot of, um, looks like television work and stuff like that, uh, typically overseas. I think that's where she does most of her work. And she doesn't do a lot of mainstream Hollywood stuff, but she's really good in this movie. And Run Lola Run uh, is a movie that is very interestingly structured. Basically, um, it takes the same um, plot or the same story and does it a couple of different times and has different outcomes because they change a few things uh, about the situation that's going on. Uh, basically, um, the plot of the movie is after a botched money delivery, Lola has 20 minutes to come up with 100,000 Deutschmarks. This is a German movie, so it is uh, in German, of course, with English English subtitles. And what I've really liked about this movie is, is it takes that kind of Rashomon perspective or that Rashomon structure and puts it into a modern movie. And it's really, really interesting to see how uh, how our lives would turn out if we made just small and different decisions uh, throughout it. You know what I mean? We'd all have different outcomes. You know, this idea of, like, uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Or, or like, like, for example, if today I decided to wake up 
and drive left out of my driveway somewhere in some other alternative universe, uh, I drove right out of my driveway or something like that. You know what I mean? If today I decided to eat chicken somewhere in another universe, I ate steak. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. you know, it has the, that that's how that different perspective of timelines. Yeah, that's how I am <laughs> when I eat Mexican food, man. Oh. When I get Mexican food, I, when I get an ACP, <laughs> I either get ACP chicken or ACP steak. So today I, I had ACP steak. So that means somewhere it had ACP chicken somewhere. In, yeah, you know. but in 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 yeah. every reality, you're probably <laughs> going to, uh, going to be enjoying it. Essentially, you know what I mean. Yes. You love yeah. You like Chinese food in all your all your realities. <clears throat> oh yeah. But yeah. Run Lola Run um is very stylized in its approach. Um, it's a film that has kind of that um, th- this kind of you know bright filter this haze type filter in it and, and there's a lot of um there's a lot of camera work in in her in the movie with her on the run because she has a small amount of time to do a certain thing to get to a certain place so the film has a very frenetic pace to it and it's a very easy watch that's why i really put it on the list and the movie is only an hour and 20 minutes so it's very much in yeah, real yeah. time as well you know when you got 20 minutes to do it she really has 20 minutes to do something um, I really like this movie. I highly recommend it to many people because it is really overlooked and underrated. And Stephen, like you said, you haven't even seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. And it, you know, <laughs> looking at looking a little bit into it, it it um seems the director kind of has a connection to the um to uh the directors of the Matrix, the Wachowskis, uh, the, the, the yeah, Wachowskis, they, they, whatever. The Wachowskis, and um, you know he's he's worked on their show uh, eight uh, since eight, yeah. and and uh, they they worked on Cloud Atlas together. I was and, really uh, surprised so they, to see that actually. Yeah, they they, they and, and honestly, you know, I I've seen clips of Run Lola Run, so I can see the aesthetics kind of working together. They 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 have similar styles, I think. Yeah, um, and and, uh, and a quick aside here, uh, really sad news recently is that the Wachowskis have pretty much. Uh, done with filmmaking. They're done with. Yeah. They're yeah. done making movies. They're selling their Chicago office, and I think Lana Wachowski said that. Yep, she's she's made all the movies she's wanted to make. She's done everything she wants to do, and she's done. So that's kind of really really sad because you know they made such such an influential movie like The Matrix, and they've always had a different uh, type of movie every time they've made it. You know what I mean? There's something unique about them that you don't see in a lot of mainstream movies. But let's talk about, Stephen, your next film on your list. Yeah, um, this one I think is what we would, I guess, call a required viewing, at least in my opinion. Probably, I think you probably will agree. And that's uh, from 1988, Cinema Paradiso. Oh, never. Um, don't watch this movie. It's awful. <laughs> don't want, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Damn it. Never mind. Let me take it off here. Take it off. Um, yeah, the, through through many, this is kind of this this was considered to be the the film lovers movie. You know, it's uh, you know this is a little bit of a longer film depending on which cut of the movie you you watch. Which I would suggest the original cut the, the shorter over cut. the extended one. The extended one is is a little bit. It shows stuff you don't need to see, but um, it is a two hour and thirty five minute movie. It's long, but like I said. It, it is a movie that is about the film lover. You know, it's set around this um, this filmmaker who is recalling his childhood. He, you know, uh, you know, he, and he's a film. He comes to visit his old town and see the people that he grew up around. And uh, the movie flashes back to his childhood, where he 
worked at a movie theater in with in he was friends with the projectionist and it kind of just shows it really encapsulates not only just loving film but going to the cinema and having that communal experience and it's just it's just one of the sweetest films i've ever seen um the friendship between the projectionist and the kid is just it's beautiful and and how and, and i don't want to give away how it ends but it's it can it, it's, it can be heartbreaking at times it can be you know, it's it's just a really lovely movie, and it's one I, I mean, I've seen it only once, but I need to go back and watch it again, and it, this is an Italian film, um, and it's directed by, if I can say his name, uh, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Tornatore, you could probably say I, it better. I, I would you say uh, Giuseppe Tornatore. Giuseppe, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I said. That's what I said the first time, Andrew. Um... And uh, I don't know that he's really done anything other of note um, other than that, but um, it looks like he's done uh, – he's, he's, he's went on to do some other works, but it doesn't look like he's done much that's of relevance as Cinema Paradiso is. And um, I, I know you love this film. I know we've talked about this before. Yeah, I've done – I've talked about this film in depth on my own YouTube channel. I did a, a Blu-ray review of the – uh, recent Arrow video Blu-ray release uh, that's just fantastic. It's got all kind of special features, and it does have both cuts of the movie, but like Steven said, watch the shorter theatrical cut. The longer cut uh, adds a significant amount of time to the movie, and it changes the perspective of the movie. Like, it's that significant of material that it'll 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 change the movie. Uh, this movie, I think, is amazing. It's It's required for, I think, every cinephile and film lover uh all the time because it's a movie not only about the love of cinema but it's a movie about uh pursuing pursuing one's dreams regardless of what the cost could be you know what i mean in in life you're going to have to uh you know cut certain ties with things you love like you're going to have to leave your hometown you're going to have to leave your friends and family behind sometimes you're going to have to uh leave your 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 the love of your life behind in order to pursue your calling or pursue your dreams and just, you know, live your life. And it's, it's really universal when it comes to a lot of those themes. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. I can't say enough about it. It's incredible. Yeah. And if you, if you check out, if you check out our, uh, Podbean, uh, page, you'll see that that's our cover. You see the kid, he's looking up at the screen and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's an iconic image for me. Um, but yeah, that's like like Andrew said. You know, this is I think this one st- this is on Filmstruck, and it's also like he said has an Arrow release, which is really nice. It's got a nice slip cover and everything, um, and it's got two cuts of the movie. Uh, like we said, prefer the original, the shorter cut. It's the better the better cut of the movie. But let's move on, Andrew. What you got next? Um, what I have next is um a film that people may not be familiar with. But Stephen, I have a question for you. Do you like? Oh, do you oh. like Martin Scorsese's says he's The Departed? Um, it's pretty good. Oh, yeah, I like, he does. I like he it. does. Good, good. I do I'm like it. Yeah. Aware that it is a remake of a movie called Infernal Affairs that came out in 2002. Huh? <laughs> well, indeed what? it is. Indeed it is. <laughs> this is a movie uh, that came out, like I said, in 2002, titled Infernal Affairs. That is directed by Wade. Uh, uh, Kyung Lao Wei, 
And it is a film that has a very similar premise to The Departed. Like I say said, say that five times oh, fast, Andrew. Young Lao Wake, Young Lao Wake, Young Lao Wake, Young Lao Wake, Young Lao Wei. Well, damn it. <laughs> I think um, I did you, it. You did it. Um, it's a story. Be- <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me if this is a plot you haven't heard before. It's a story between a mole in the police department and an undercover cop. Their objectives are the same to find out who is the mole and who is the cop. That is The Departed, but this film, <gasps> this film is a movie that Marco says he loved so much that he decided to remake it. And of course, that movie went on to uh, much critical um, praise, and people, you know, always go back to it, always talk about it. It won Best Picture. Marco says he finally won Best Director. But this is the movie that 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 movie is a remake of, and this is a fantastic movie. Some people actually prefer this movie to The Departed because of I because of how it treats the material with a more sense of seriousness or with a more sense of urgency and and doesn't have that Hollywood shine to it that you know a lot of Hollywood movies do. Uh, this is I believe a Chinese film or this is a film uh, a Hong Kong film. I have to check on check on that specifically because because that is important. Um, it is available on. Yes, we don't want to. We don't want to confuse. No, we don't. It, 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 yeah, the movie. <laughs> it could be a Korean film. Yeah, the film. movie does have a um, uh, the DTS the DTS track on the Blu-ray is in Cantonese, which is a form of Chinese, I believe. Um, and and it's a really fantastic movie. Uh, I cannot highly recommend it enough. Not only because of its attachment to The Departed, but I think it stands really well on its own. Um, Stephen, have you actually seen this movie? I haven't. Okay. I'm sorry, and, and and I know it's got it's got sequels too, right? I believe it does have sequels. Yes, it has. I think it. I think it's a trilogy. I think they have three. Yeah, of there's them, Infernal sure. Infernal Affairs two, which came out in two thousand three, and Infernal Affairs three, which also came out in two thousand and three. Which is very interesting. Wow, they did a matrix. They did a matrix. They, they did a matrix. I think they, they did, did a matrix. It. Yeah, they matrixed us. Um, it's it's a really good movie. I highly recommend it. I haven't seen the sequels. I can't comment on those. Um, but as just a standalone movie, it's it's fantastic. Does it does it does it follow the the plot? Does the Departed follow the plot of Infernal Affairs kind of closely, or is it very very much a different type of remake? Is it is it? Yes, yeah, now? it's a different type of remake. I don't think there's like a Jack Nicholson character in the first movie in in Infernal okay. Affairs. And granted, let's face it, you know Jack Nicholson is kind of unique unto himself <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah he is an he he is an enigma yeah he yeah, is an enigma be, it, it, yeah like it's that. not there's i don't believe there's not really a jack nicholson character because that jack nicholson character was actually based on a real life boston gangster uh, i think whitey bulger essentially so you know yeah, they, pro- they probably created some characters to fit yeah. in with the, the type of story they were te- you know telling a story about boston yeah but the, so gen- to- the general as you get the you know the plot synopsis just suggests that you know a mole in the, you know a mole in organized crime a mole in the police department you know and and it's about them you know trying to discover essentially each other that's the basic premise of yeah. both movies yeah i love i love a good detective a good gangster film you know like that so yeah i mean i'm i'm i definitely need to ch- it's one of the movies i've all, i've known about since the departed and have for some reason never gotten around to checking it out i'm going to i'm going to fix that soon now that we've talked about it on here i need to watch it um, is it a long movie? I I, I didn't see what the uh, runtime on that. An hour was. and forty one minutes. So no. Oh, see then that's that's a good easy watch. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the next one I'm gonna do is another kind of short one, and I think another that I think Andrew will re- agree is a required viewing. Um, and that is in another another Italian film. Um, 
from Victorio De Sica, uh, Bicycle Thieves. And, you know, as I said, you know, I'm kind of on my list, I'm kind of going from most accessible to kind of more more artful. And this this is definitely more of an art, closer to a more art housey type of movie because the pl- there's not much to the plot. It's about this, you know, kind of working class guy who's who's just trying to provide for his family and he gets a job putting up posters over around town and he needs his bicycle to to get around town to do that job but then it gets stolen so him and his his kid kind of go around town trying to find his bike and it doesn't sound like it has much to it but it's it, it's one of them kind of bittersweet movies that um you know, comes from with the Italian Italian neo neo realism, as they call it, um, and it's got it's got a real sense of like realism to it, and, and it's post war, and you know the country's dealing with a lot of things, and it, it's 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 one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Um, Victoria Victorio De Sica's got a couple movies like that. Um, he's also got another movie, uh, Umberto M or Umberto B. Um, is another you're, you're, you're very cl- sad. You're close, movie it's called Umberto D. So you were D. Uh, I'm gonna go through the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, you only had you uh, had a, a one. B. I was gonna get to you it. You had a one in twenty six chance, I think, to get. To yeah, get. <laughs> I was gonna get to it eventually. Uh, this is what happens when you're sleep deprived. That is very true. Um, Somebody was having. But but yeah, too but yeah much I fun. think you can agree, Andrew. This is a required viewing. It is a sad movie, but it's good to cry every once in a while, ain't it? Right? You you cry you cry every once in a while. I right? cry all the time, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I, wow. I, I cried. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. You should have told I, me. I, that dude, I cried when they when they they told me Filmstruck was going to get canceled. I I cried. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is this movie is probably shown in every film school on the planet. <laughs> I have to say, this movie is film school. 101 i think in my opinion it's one of the first maybe the first foreign film i ever saw in a film class ever um it, it is uh, from the italian neorealism uh, uh period basically italian neorealism are movies that came out in the post uh world war ii italy that were as were as kind of steven said very based in the real world dealing with real world problems and a lot of the movies were shot with non non professional actors in real locations that were essentially, you know, uh, the rubble of you know post World War II uh, Europe, and it's very very interesting um, uh, what they were able to explore and how universal those themes are to the point where they are contemporary as well. Yeah, this film is all about a father and son and just the the sheer desperation of just trying to survive. Uh, and provide for one's family, you know, something as, you know, as basic when it comes to a modern perspective as a bicycle is literally the difference between, you know, uh, living and not living for this family, you know, eating and not eating, providing or not providing for his family. And the whole film is really centered around that basic premise, but there's so much great thematic depth within all of that. And it's really a fantastic movie. I, can't recommend it enough. I think it's required viewing for all cinephiles and all film lovers. I really love that Italian neorealism uh, period. I think it's just unique and fantastic. And what really made me fall in love with foreign cinema was the Italian neorealism films. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely, most definitely. And um, we're winding down, man. We're getting to the end here. Um, 
So what's your next my one? My next one, which I guess is five on my list, the big old five. And this movie, talk about uh, talk about a crier. You just mentioned crying at the movies. This movie is one of the most beautiful uh, movies I've ever seen. One of the most emotional films in the sense like you will both laugh and you will both weep while watching this movie. And that is uh, Life is Beautiful. Came out in 1997, uh, directed by Roberto Benigni. And I put it on the list here because it's a really amazing movie. It's 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 a lovely movie. And it just, like I said, it runs the gamut of all of the emotions. For those of you who are not familiar uh, with the film, it's uh, the premise is this. Uh, just reading it off at IMDb. Uh, when an open-minded Jewish librarian and his son become... Victims of the Holocaust, he uses a perfect mixture of will, humor, and imagination to protect his son from the dangers around their camp. If, if that sounds heavy to you, it is very heavy. But yeah. the first half of this film is the lighter half. The, what that premise said, that's pretty much the premise of the second half. The lighter half of the movie is the is, the, is that character meeting and falling in love and, and with, with his wife, who he then has the child with, that he has to protect from the horrors of the world within the concentration camps during the Holocaust. And it's a really timeless film because especially now those that, that level of hatred and danger and violence is still among us now. And the film explores it in a way that, that we have to protect ourselves from it. And it's just an amazing movie. Roberto Benigni uh, it was just a really funny, uh, physically funny uh, actor himself, and he's just amazing in this movie. And he also uh, starred in it as well as uh, directed it. And I believe this movie won three Oscars. Um, it won Best Actor in a, in a Leading Role for Roberto Benigni. It won uh, Best Music uh, Original uh, Dramatic Score. And it won Best Foreign Language Film um, at the Oscars for that year. Uh, there's a funny clip on YouTube, I believe, of when this movie won. It was either when this movie won. Yeah, I think it was when it won Best Foreign Language Film. Roberto Benigni gets up and just like runs all the way to the stage and just, just freaking out. And it's it, I think the Oscar was being presented by uh, um, uh, an actress I can't remember. And... Uh, uh, and... Oh, um... Sophia Loren. Oh my goodness. Sophia Loren. And he's just like, he's like, oh, Sophia Loren, you look so beautiful. This is amazing. He's just having a freak out time because he's so like overwhelmed with emotion about uh, him winning this Oscar and stuff like that. This movie is one of the best films in the last 30 years. It's one of the best foreign films I think ever made. And it's one of, I think, also one of the most important. And it's, uh, it, like I said, uh, the premise says it all. It is a very a tearful film especially in its second half and especially in its end which i won't give away but yeah it's it's an amazing film and i believe steven you you haven't seen it or you've only seen it once no it's another one i haven't seen man and, and you know and that's that's what i try to we've talked about with this podcast man it's you know it is a discovery for us too man there's still you know it's not just us informing you about things to, to check out but between me and andrew we 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 we, we you know present things to each other that we don't have we haven't seen and uh so yeah i i need to i need to ch jump on these movies man you gotta i got a few movies in my queue now that i gotta check out and uh you know 
maybe I can get into some of them before Filmstruck goes mm-hmm. away, or maybe I you jump on Amazon or something. I got to stop bringing up Filmstruck. It just keeps bringing. We're getting to a crying end here. Yeah. I said we're gonna we're gonna not go so sad at the end, but we are. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess yeah, getting to my last one, and and I couldn't I could not get through this without bringing up maybe my favorite, one of my favorite foreign filmmakers, which is Satyajit Ray. Um, is an Indian filmmaker. And uh, this film, you know, there's a lot of his films I really love. And I think the one I chose is kind of, is maybe my favorite and not only my favorite, but I think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a hard watch at all. I think it's, it is, it is maybe the, the, the hardest watch out of the movies I've presented here, but it's, it is a family drama. It's it's kind of something that he brings up a lot in his movies, uh, you know, the dynamic of the family and, and things like that. And that's the big city. Um, and in this in this particular case here, it, kind of the role of the female during that time, you know, you know, during that time, not only in you know India, but uh, you know, all around the world, the the role of the woman kind of jumping into the workforce. And in this case, you have you you have characters where the 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 husband, um, which her you know her him and the and the wife have a very open relationship. They're very communicative, and, and it's a very sweet relationship. But when he loses his job and they need to bring money into the house, she decides she's going to go out and get a job, and she starts to work as kind of a sales salesperson, um, and she gets really good at it, you know. And so it, it's the movie delves into the the dynamic between. You know, her jumping into working, he's kind of staying at home, not doing as much. He's trying to get a job, but he's not providing as much as she is. So, you know, you got them gender dynamics, and and I, I I'm just I'm just a super fan of of Satyajit Ray. I keep learning more and more about him. I keep watching more of his films, and I think that um, uh, he's just a he's a he's a he's a treasure of foreign cinema. And I I if there was one filmmaker, I would suggest to you guys to give a chance. And to really get into his stuff, go seek out Satyajit Ray. Uh, he's got, I think, five or six films on the on the Criterion Collection. Um, you know, in in hopefully more to come because I think they have his whole catalog. So, what do you what do you think of the Big oh. City Man? Oh, uh, Satyajit Ray is one of the greatest secrets in film history, at least in the 20th century. Um, I didn't know anything about him. Until I uh, blind bought the Apu trilogy from the Criterion Collection, and and just because everybody was kind of uh, very happy uh, when it was an- when the set was announced, and then like the sale would come and people would I'd see everybody posting on Instagram or Twitter they were buying it and buying it, and I'm like, you know what, I want to check it out. So I was like, you know what, I'll it's cheap enough because of the sale and all this kind of stuff, so I'll check it out. And then I watched it. And then I watched the supplements in the Apu trilogy set, and I was like, "This is this is this is amazing. Why is nobody talking about him at all? You know what I mean? I I had never heard about him until then. And then and then I just started telling people, "Yes, yeah, Satyajit Ray watches movies, watches movies." And then I know Steven started watching it. Steven loves his movies now, and and apparently, uh, you know, we were kind of late to the party in general about him. And the Big City is just phenomenal because. I keep watching every single one of his movies and they're just, and it's like one masterpiece right after the other. You know what I mean? And the big city, like Steven said, is very accessible and very contemporary because it's dealing with, uh, you know, something that people are still battling now. People are still having discussions 
over gender roles in society. You know what I mean? And things of that nature. And this film really delves into that at a time in Indian culture where, you know, they were still battling with the old ways of thinking. You know what I mean? That the man was the main, the main, uh, you know, financial, uh, you know, benefactor, not benefactor, but he was the one who went, who went out and did the, did the work and the woman stayed home and all that stuff. And that's something people still battle with today. And it's, and like Steven said, it's very humanistic where he's going on a very human, very family type level, uh, very similar to another great all time filmmaker in Yasujiro Ozu. A lot of Ozu's films are very similar to Satyajit Ray's films where they're they're very uh family and uh oriented and it's about family relationships and dealing with kind of cultural things and stuff like that it's just phenomenal how both of their works really mesh with one another um satyajit ray had took a lot of uh inspiration from from western cinema he brought he really brought western cinema to india and his films aren't uh Indian films in the sense that when we think Indian films, we think of Bollywood and stuff like that. His films are not Bollywood. They're very Western-based, which makes them very universal, makes them very accessible uh, throughout the world, and makes them really, really fantastic. I can't recommend his movies enough. And the actress who is in many of his films, uh, she's also in this film Madhavi uh, Mukherjee she is phenomenal and every time she pops up in one of his movies she's amazing in them so I yeah, highly recommend specifically it. in I think I think Charlotta she's yeah that's another she's film that really she's really amazing in. in she's really good which is which is phenomenal and she was in uh one of his Apu films I believe she was in the second Apu the, film the th- uh oh, was it the it, third the I third was, the thing is the yeah, third she one, was yeah. in the third film she was the she was the eventual wife, the, of, the girlfriend, of the, whatever yes. you want to call her. Yeah, yeah, she she's fantastic. Yeah, like like you know you you said it perfectly, man. He's just he's just a very his 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 movies have a have a connection to not only his culture but the world. I think you know he doesn't you know a lot of filmmakers kind of make you know if they're very you know sometimes some certain cultures are very hard to to communicate their custom how how they do things to the rest of the world and some filmmakers can't relate it to the rest of the world but i think he does it perfectly um and and finds a way to express his culture to the world in in a way that you can understand it and 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 relate to it and yeah i mean that's that's to me maybe the hardest of the watches but like still very accessible um it's it's like a little over two hours long about two hours 15 minutes long so it's a little long but it's not Trust me, you'll be so captivated by the characters that that you'll you won't even it will it'll go by in a breeze. Um, it is in black and white also, so and, and you know we haven't talked about that much, but I think most of the movies we've talked about, I think mostly are in color. Um, we've had a couple. Bicycle Thieves are, is black and white, um, but um, yeah, that's it. I think that's it for our main lists. But I think we're gonna roll off some more kind of honorable mentions. Uh, Andrew, I know, has got a slew of them. I got a couple more. Yeah, here. I got a slew of them. How do, do you want to do one and then you do one? Do you want me to just do like? Well, you just go run yeah. through yours real quick, and I I just got two oh. more here that I was gonna oh. throw out there. Oh boy, let's see here. Yeah, yeah, you did be a little economical. <laughs> on, we like, you don't want to yeah. overwhelm our audience here. Let me here. Uh, get out my scroll here and see what what's going yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me just uh, unfurl it. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay, so uh, first up here is a movie, is a German film called The Lives of Others, which came out in two thousand and six. 
Uh, great film set in the Cold War, East Berlin. It's about a guy who does like surveillance for the government, you know, because that's what they did back then. Um, they still do it now, but he, 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 and he gets particularly involved and invested in the life of this one woman and this one guy who are in a relationship to the point where he starts like trying to protect them from the government and stuff like that. Really fantastic film, really, um, kind of unknown. I really love it. Uh, next is Vol Volver by Pedro Almodovar. I really struggled trying to pick one Pedro Almodovar film to put on this list because some of his films are really easily accessible and some of his films uh, kind of aren't. But Volver, <laughs> Volver it's, either, it's either pronounced Volver or Volver, depending on I guess how you pronounce it. But this film stars Penelope Cruz, came out in 2006. It's a Spanish-language film. Um... Basically, uh, the premise of the film is after her death, a mother returns to her hometown uh, in order to in order to fix the situation she couldn't resolve during her life. It's a really, really great film. I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, it's a lighter film, more of a comedic film from Pedro Almodovar, which is uh, which is a bit of a different depending on which other film you watch from him. I recommend checking Pedro Almodovar's, fil Almodovar's films out in general. They're all really, really good. Um, next up here is uh, an animated film. We can't forget animated films. Animated films have been around for a very long time, and they're not just the American brand, the Disney brand that we're so used to seeing, but there is a studio, very famous studio that people are familiar from, from Japan, um, called um, Studio Ghibli. And the film that I recommend from them is one of Hayao Miyazaki's films, who's one of their famous filmmakers. And this is not one of his more well-known films, but I think it's a good entry film for everyone, and that is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. It came out in the 1980s. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. It has a lot of the themes that he would then go on to work with in films like Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away and things like that. Um, next up here is... Another Rosalini film, uh, just uh, next up here is a Roberto Rosalini film called Rome Open City. It's another uh, film in the Italian neorealism uh, genre or period. Um, it's amazing. It's the films that are, it, this film literally takes place in Rome after, right after World War II. It's just absolutely phenomenal. I don't want to go into it because uh, I think you have to experience those movies for yourself. A uh, couple more mainstream stuff. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by Ang Lee. I recently rewatched it. I think it's phenomenal. It's a gorgeous aesthetic film. Uh, very accessible when it comes to the action, I think, that's in it. It has some kind of that, that wing, I think it's called Wing Chun action, uh, a form of martial arts, which is not for everyone. I know Steven's not a huge fan of it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I don't hate him, but it's just not my flavor, man. I, 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 I prefer more realistic type of kung fu films. But, yeah, I, I understand yeah. what Steven says, uh, but I still think it's a gorgeous movie by Ang Lee, who did a lot of both English films. Oh, it's English a, it's a well-directed yeah. movie, I, and I love Ang Lee, you know, a lot of it, you know, the Ice Storm and yeah, stuff he, like that. He, and I, I haven't seen a lot of his foreign stuff. Yeah, he, so. his early stuff is really fantastic. He had a trilogy of films called Father Knows Best, uh, with Pushing Hands, The Wedding Banquet, and like uh, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, I believe is the name of the third film. Uh, those films are great, but getting back to my list, uh, is another Desica film that's not Bicycle Thieves, and it's one we did mention, Umberto D. Uh, no, it's Umberto uh, B. Oh, oh, right? oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Or C, oh, oh, maybe. maybe. Uh, basically, 
this movie, I wept at the end of this movie. I wept while watching this uh. movie. It's another hard one, but basically, it's a movie about, uh, takes place right after World War II, about basically an old man and his pet dog just trying to survive. And it's, it's very heartwarming. It's very emotional, especially if you have a strong connection to, you know, your pets, whether it be a cat or a dog. In this case, it's a dog. But it, it's a wonderful film. If you just watch, if you just look at the cover of the Criterion Blu-ray, it's just yeah. the old man literally holding his dog. It's, 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 I cry just looking at the cover. I cry just thinking yeah, about you this just, movie. You hear, you're, are you, are you, and then you hear Celine Dion, uh, you know, music in the uh, background. You're like... Or <laughs> no, that Melissa Etheridge, like, ASPCA song, uh, In the Arms <laughs> of the Angels, and you just... We, in the arms uh, of the Oh, goodness. Angels. But my last two here are... Um, I wanted to mention this just because I have to. Uh, Akira, Akira Kurosawa's <laughs> Rashomon. I think is his most accessible movie. It's I it's the movie I recommend people to watch first out of all of his movies just because I think just the story and the way it's structured is very modern. Like he was one of the first people to have like a a non-linear plot or one of the first people to have one plot and then three perspectives based on that plot, you know, it's like a, like a story within a story and stuff like that. Uh great amazing film. And the last one here is my wild card. It's a wild one. Oh man! It's a movie that if you really want to sink your teeth into uh, what foreign films can do that perhaps American films cannot do, I'm talking Chenwick Parks's Old Boy. This movie is unlike probably most films you've ever seen. Um, this is a film that famously has a twist ending, a radical twist ending, but it also has that really long tracking shot of the fight in the hallway which is you know you can watch that just that sequence on youtube and it's amazing but i highly re yeah. i highly recommend that movie for people who really want to be challenged by what they what they watch steven your list of uh let me let me give you a, a couple here not so yeah. so as many I as went, yours I went, I went off and there was actually a couple of he went a little bit there was actually one, one i crazy. didn't talk about just because time <laughs> um well, a couple here, and these are a couple, um, couple more more kind of gritty movies. One of them is a French film, and it's called uh, 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 A Prophet, uh, which came out in 2009. Um, it's a gangster movie. It's a prison film. Um, it's very powerful. It's it, A lot of people consider it to be one of the better gangster films of the last, you know, 15 years or so. Um, it, it's... It really kind of delves into that idea, and it's something that's really becoming very prominent again recently. That the prison system kind of creates criminals. That it kind of, uh, you know, it does. It's not about helping people come back into society. It's, you know, it really just is a, just a, a place to 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 make that that kind of element worse. You know, he, this man goes into prison, kind of one person, and you see through this. It, it is a long movie. It's about two two and a half hours this guy kind of mold, get molded into this kind of criminal mastermind of sorts. Like he becomes kind of this main head boss gangster type of dude by the end of the movie. And it's kind of sad and it's brutal. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a fantastic kind of odyssey of this guy, this guy's transfer, you know, transference into this kind of, you know, kind of scary dude. Um, and, the other one I I just kind of thought of this one now and it's and I, and it's actually kind of a popular one that I think a lot of people would know these days, 
um, is The Raid. The Raid Redemption is a, is a good one. Uh, Indonesian film. Uh, fan, some of the best action scenes I've seen in a movie, period. Like, uh, you know, that and its sequel. Um, but particularly it's the first film, very, very much isolated to these cops going into this building, trying to get to this drug lord, and they're fighting their way to the top. It's like a video game, you know? Um, and it's it's some of the some of the best directed action I've ever seen. Uh, it's very easy to watch. Uh, I don't think the first one's very long. It's maybe about an hour forty five minutes. No, the second the second um, one is uh, coincidentally it's se- the second one's the longer, second one definitely. is uh, very similar to The Departed and Infernal Affairs as well. But that second one is like two hours and forty minutes. And the second and and kind of the, the a prophet, yeah. it, it kind of has a little bit of that element too of, of a guy getting into prison, kind of working his way. But in that case, it, yeah, and like the Departed, very much kind of undercover aspect to the story. Um, so yeah, them are two kind of you know crime films that I I really love, and and, and I think are kind of very accessible to the audience. And um, yeah, and I I let Andrew fill in the other blanks with his long list um, there. <laughs> And uh, a lot of good suggestions, though, man. I, I've seen a lot of the the honorable mentions you were talking about, and uh, they're all good, man. And uh, I think I'm worn out. I'm worn out for this episode. There's a lot of a lot of talking, or maybe I'm just. It's been a long day. <laughs> and you, you're about to get excited. I think you're watching the Red Sox game yeah, I, uh, it, as we're talking. Yeah, as of now, it is the bottom of the sixth. Oh, nice, nice. Is it looking good? They're up three one, so it's looking Ooh, it's yes, it's a yes. tight one again, as as all these games tend to be. Yeah. Well, I think we've made it to the end, people. That's it for another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. I'm Stephen Billings. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm changing my voice for this ending part. And you can also find this podcast on iTunes and YouTube and whatnot. Where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions, which I'm hoping to uh, close out the month of October really strong really soon uh, with a bunch more Halloween stuff that I have to still Ooh. post, but I've been procrastinating because I have a procrastination problem. Don't judge me, <laughs> internet. Oh, no. I, trust me, man. We, we, we all go through it. And like I said, once again, you could find this podcast on iTunes, Piedbean, uh, uh, we we have uh, you know video with the audio on our YouTube, and uh, yes, please rate and review, uh, share it around for us if you're enjoying it. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. I'm sorry for the loopiness of myself today. I'm probably a little coming off a little weird. I'm sorry, or maybe you enjoyed. I'll just keep being weird. All right, <laughs> thanks everybody, and um, you know keep on watching the movies, guys. I know I will. 